The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're catching up with Nigel Ferguson, Managing Director of AVZ Minerals, owner of the world's biggest undeveloped hard rock lithium deposit in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, or the DRC if you're short of time. We had a chat with Nigel back in August last year when AVZ was trading at five cents. It's now trading at 7.1 cents, which says something about the progress at the project in the interim, a period marked by what has been generally a tough time for the lithium market, which needs to work off what mostly is excess stockpiles, a short-term phenomenon in uh, the battery boom taking off in a big way come 21-22. Now, as we've had Nigel on the podcast previously, I won't get him to give us a rundown on his background. Suffice to say, he is a resources industry veteran and importantly, he's been active in the DRC for 16 years. With that, I'll say welcome back to the podcast, Nigel. Thanks, Barry. Good to be back. Now, uh, lots been happening since we uh, last spoke, but I guess uh, the big question uh, out there in the market is, where is the uh, DFS at? And uh, the background to that, of course, being uh, the MET test work, what's that been showing? And um Having said that, where can we see the DFS uh, coming out to the market and giving people a real feel for where the project's at? Certainly, we're um, we're about ninety-five uh, percent. The last time I was speaking with the project director on that, um, which was only a couple of days ago, we've we've had a lot of uh, uh, third-party information come in. We're still waiting on a little bit more, uh, just checking some numbers and writing up some sections of the report. So, ninety-five percent. Um, always, that last five percent is going to take a little bit longer. Um, met test work, uh, as you probably recall, we had two phases of work to be done. Uh, the first phase was completed quite some time ago. The second phase, we are complete now, with the exception of uh, doing some further test work on the tin and tantalum uh, recovery levels, which we are expecting within a week to 10 days, I would think, somewhere around about mid-month. Mm-hmm. So the uh, met test work is uh, all positive to this point? Uh, extremely positive, yes. Uh, I think uh, the main point from uh, the scalability size of things, we, we did all the bench uh, bench scale test work and then we managed to do a, a larger uh, lot of material go through. I think it was 250 kilograms I uh, went through and the uh, end product ended up being, a, I think it was a 60% recovery and a 6.1% uh, spodumene concentrate. So very, very happy with that. Um, iron grades uh, also very good at 0.7, well within acceptable levels, and uh, the mica and uh, other detrimentals we know of already uh, have been characterised. It's just not going to be an issue for us. So uh, very encouraging there with using an HPGR, which is exactly the, the same uh, equipment we'll be using on site when we get it up and operational. Um, the tin and tantalum side of things, uh, initially we uh, we looked at doing some recoveries as a byproduct from the spodumene side of things uh, on the recovery test work for that. And we ended up with, I think it was 30% of the product sitting into a heavy metal concentrate. 
those numbers are being improved with the next round. Uh, still waiting on confirmation of that, but we're expecting probably 50% of the tin and tantalum to be recovered into a heavy minerals concentrate. Uh, we'll probably put a second slice or a, an additional piece of equipment on site to accommodate the tin and tantalum and uh, recover a little bit more and then maybe make a, a little ingot bar or something like that just to make sure that we can uh, get the best value and uh, and transport the material out uh, of country. Yeah, the uh, the tin potential is uh, interesting because I, I think uh, from memory it's uh, the resource is, what, 300,000 tonnes is also? Within the main resource we have at the moment, the complete jork resource, the, the 400 million tonnes, yes, we have 300,000 tonnes of tin at an average grade of, I think, 740 ppm. Mm-hmm. Uh, within that, there'll be higher grade areas. I think we touched on before, Barry, that we've got some footwall uh, grison zones that are running up to 20% tin. Very hard in a, in a large deposit like this to define those any further than just the average grade for the main pegmatite. But uh, we're expecting those to be fed in, higher grade material fed into the system. So we might get a little bit more uh, recovery from those areas than we would expect from the main pegmatite. But yes, very encouraging. Okay, so nice uh, potential sweetener there for the overall project economics. Now, um, we all know the project is uh, in landlocked DRC, so transport uh, to the coast is uh, a major issue. I was just wondering, uh, I think last time we spoke, we uh, were speaking about the potential routes and uh, where the most suitable export point might be. Uh, Just wondering what advances have been made on that front. Uh, You're quite right. We do have... um, uh a fair way to the coast, if I can put it that way. We've got several um, avenues we've been looking at and investigating, um, three or four aspects of it. Uh, we want to make it um, the simplest uh, method we can use, so the, the, the least number of uh, transport methods. Uh, trucking, I mean, ultimately, if we had a train coming to, railway coming to our site, then that would be the best for us. Uh, but we don't, so we're going to have to rely on some trucking of material to get it to the railhead. We've uh, identified um, a fairly decent road uh, by DRC standards where we believe we can truck the ore from site to the railhead at uh, at a little town called Cabondo Deanda, which is about 320 kilometres away from us. Mm-hmm. And then from there on, uh, on the railway line, uh, the DRC railway line, SNCC uh, is the, uh, the term for that, they are operating. Uh, there's a little bit of work required further north of that, but uh, from from Cabondo to uh, Lakasi Kolwezi into the Copper Belt, that uh, that railway system is working quite well. It then hooks up to several opportunities. We can either go into Zambia and catch up with the uh, Tazara Railway at a, a town called Kapiri and Poshi, or we can uh, head uh, west through to Angola and out to the port of Lobito. Uh, Lobito at the moment is looking like the front runner. Uh, we've got a little bit more um, negotiation to do with pricing on that, but uh, it is looking like the shortest and simplest and most cost-effective route for us. Dar es Salaam is certainly hanging in there uh, with um, uh, very good engagement with the, the government officials in Tanzania so far, and I think they're keen for the business, so we should be able to strike a reasonable deal. And then finally, if we come down into Zambia, we have the opportunity of going uh, south, uh, the traditional route through to Durban Port um, in South Africa, or we're investigating also uh, going to Walvis Bay in Namibia. 
um, both of those uh, groups of um, transporters are interested in uh, supporting their own business, as you would expect. Mm. And it's not small numbers, not really not small numbers we're talking about. I mean, 700,000 tonnes is the target now uh, on the 4.5 million tonne plant. Uh, and, you know, that's a that underpins anybody's business, I would think, in the rail and uh, trucking industry in, in Africa at the moment. Yeah, nice to have all those options. Um, and I was just wondering, the you touched on it there, there is competition from neighbouring countries to uh, get the business, as it were, you see? There most definitely is. Um, Lobito Port in Angola is underutilised at the moment. It's been uh, expanded and upgraded. Uh, the railway system was refurbished in 2015. I believe they've just ordered uh, 100 locomotives, so uh, they're into uh, into expansion mode. Uh, the Namibian railway system, Namib Rail, is also uh, looking for business. They've got a uh, a chunk of railway that's missing to connect through to uh, central uh, African railway systems, but uh, they're happy to look at trucking it through that distance. Uh, but Walvis Bay Port itself has just been uh, completely uh, refurbished and expanded as well. And Dar es Salaam the same. Uh, I think they're all vying to be the number one port in uh, southern Africa um, with uh, large money being put into these things. I think... Uh, Dar es Salaam was something like $250 million had been put into the port to expand the system there and the new mm-hmm. railway system coming it in from an inland uh, port for storage facilities. Mm-hmm. So, yes, lots of competition, which is great for us. Right. Does that, uh, the transport routes, uh, does that have to be resolved ahead of the D, uh, DF, uh, DFS or independent? Well, we will, yes. I mean, we've, we've got, um, as far as we can get, we've got numbers from those players. Uh, we still think we can improve on them. Uh, as you quite rightly mentioned, it is a major cost for us. It's about uh, two-thirds of our, um, of our uh, total cost to get it uh, FOB on a, on a ship. So, um, and long distances. So if we can scrimp half a cent here or there, we, uh, we certainly make a difference to the bottom line of the costs. Mm, okay. Now, we all had a look at the scoping study, I think, uh, May last year. The DFS is, uh, there's a bit of fine-tuning, obviously, on some of the, the final figures. I think the scoping study was the 5 million tonne per annum option, uh, peak production of 1.1 million tonnes. DFS is roughly the same? It will be roughly uh, a little, Yes, it's a little bit less. Um, we're looking at 4.5 million tonnes to produce 700,000 tonnes of uh, spodumene concentrate. Uh, that's where we think the uh, the project will sit nicely. I mean, it, it's, I think we've touched on this uh, a few times before, Barry. The, the project has no issues, obviously, with expandability. If we wanted to double that, we probably mm-hmm. could. Um, but uh, as everybody knows, the transport is the issue for us. Um, so uh, we need to be careful about what we're putting out. Um, I tend to think that any any expansion or capability expansion on producing SC6 would be uh, looked at on a comparison to maybe further beneficiation and putting a, a sulphate plant on site so that we have a sulphate going out. And that's a reduction, I think, of around about six to one, um, so six tonnes of concentrate to one tonne of sulphate. Mm-hmm. makes it uh, a lot easier for us to ship things out and it also um, gives us a, a much higher value product. Right, and that's something that will be covered in the DFS? Uh, I think it'll probably come in as an option. Right. I was uh, particularly interested in the entry of, uh, now my Chinese pronunciation is not very good, but the is it <laughs> Yin Bin Tianyi? Yep, almost, uh, Yin Bin <laughs> Tianyi. 
Oh, well, not even close, really. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that November announcement of it around the $14.1 million placement. Um, and there's been a, a bit of a hold-up there, but uh, it's, that's still in the works? It is very much so. Um, we engaged with uh, Yibin uh, quite some time ago. Uh, we were introduced to, to the group by Cattle, uh, CATL, and CATL have a 15% shareholding in uh, Yibin Chanyi. And Yibin Chanyi's chairman is also a shareholder in Cattle, so uh, they're well known to each other. Right. Uh, the thing, the thing we liked about it was that they were uh, about seventy-five percent of the way through constructing their first hydroxide plant uh, in uh, Sichuan Province. Uh, we went and visited that. Um, fortunately, before all the travel bugs and uh, uh, permits were uh, put in place. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, look, they're they're seventy-five percent of the way first they're through, through their first train, and that's a twenty-five thousand ton per annum hydroxide plant with the plan to expand and bring it up to 100,000 tonnes. So mm-hmm. as a match for us and, and our expansion um, plans and, and aspirations, we, uh, we thought it would be great because they'll probably look for in the order of 200,000 tonnes uh, offtake from us. Uh, those are part of the heads of agreement or a discussion on a, uh, an offtake agreement is part of the agreement we have with them. Um, and it's just unfortunate that we, we fell foul of... Uh, um, FERB's new policy line or the Treasurer's, the government's new policy line whereby they've brought in this uh, special committee for strategic minerals and we had to go through the process. We, we understood that we were uh, all the way through the consultation process under FERB and then the committee was put in place and we had to go back through all of the consultation process again and go back through FERB's uh, special strategic uh, minerals committee, I think it's called. Um, the difference in policy as well, and it's uh, I've noticed some some press out there on social media saying, you know, I can't believe that FERB would take this long uh, yeah, with an well, asset that's overseas. I fell off the chair um, myself. But the- <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, we weren't uh, really believing of it ourselves as well, but uh, discussions with Yemen's lawyers here and with FERB themselves have confirmed that uh, that's exactly the case. There's been a change of policy, and it's not just... Australian assets that uh, are being looked at. Um, I'm not saying that they won't be approved, but uh, being looked at by Australian um, government officials to ensure that uh, it's not um, encroaching. I mean, we do have the simple issue of Yibin having a 5%, I think it is, shareholder, uh, which is a state-owned enterprise, and that's the whole reason for the FERB approval. Um, and then the change of policy, which hasn't helped our timing. So our understanding is that the next two or three weeks we'll see that uh, that um, approval being given and the funds being released to us. Mm. And Chinese uh, authority is required? Uh, it is. ODI is, uh, is certainly required. So um, uh, we believe that that is contingent on FERB being given. There's been pre-approval, I suppose, given by the Chinese government for the investment to go forward. So uh, we're just waiting on FERB. Mm. Now, uh, given the, the issue around FERB, which I'm sure will be cleared pretty quickly, but um, it does go to the strategic nature of uh, uh, lithium supplies uh, looking forward as the EV revolution, etc., takes off. Um, what's your take on the lithium uh, market at the moment and uh, when do you see this uh, much forecast turn in uh, sentiment and demand? Well, uh, um, in a few words, the price is absolute rubbish at the moment, Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's really in the best interest of anybody to dwell on it. But um, 
uh, you know, there's companies that are in production who are, are struggling with $420, $450 a, a tonne for SC6. Um, all I can say is good luck to them because I think that's going to be hard slog. Um, my understanding is that, yes, there are stockpiles within the system which need to be taken out before uh, supply can begin again in earnest. Uh, I think we'll probably see a couple of years before that actually starts to come out. Uh, it all depends on um, how accurate the forecasts are for, uh, for, for the future demand for the product. Um, if I'm hearing correctly what uh, Toyota and VW and uh, the German car manufacturers in general are starting to talk about, uh, there's going to be a lot more uh, supply um, required uh, in Europe uh, as well as what's coming out of China as well. So the Chinese will probably uh, bore into their um, stockpiles, use them up, and then uh, we'll be looking at um, uh, an increasing price, I hope, over the next, uh, well, from two years out maybe, mm -hmm. 18 months. Uh, and then moving upwards from there. I think 700 is the number that a lot of uh, uh, these um, uh, marketing people are looking at who have got the data, uh, benchmark and fast markets, et cetera, are all looking at those sorts of numbers, $700 mm -hmm. uh, a tonne for SE6 by 2022, I think it is, 2021, 2022. Um, and it'll sit there for a wee while. And I think that base level of 700 is, uh, is excellent for us. Um, it's a great number for us. Uh, but we will look for that price to go up, I think, um, based on this extra demand that I think is really going to start happening from Europe. Mm. Last time I looked, there was a, a lovely diagram showing, I think it was 28 different uh, battery manufacturing plants that were supposed to be going into Europe, Eastern Europe, over the next uh, couple of years. Uh, and I think it's 400 gigawatt hours of battery life right. being constructed. So Tesla and... Uh, uh, cattle and all these boys are going to be in there uh, pushing it. So, um, yeah, I think there's more to come on that one, Barry. Mm. Uh, just by the by, um, both BHP and Rio, during their profit briefings in the last week or two, have uh, both uh, identified lithium as a you know, future-facing commodity they need to uh, have a good think about because uh, because of that growth, that future growth. So they are, they're obviously looking at 10, 15, 20-year horizons. But uh, if the big boys are starting to look, uh, you've got to wonder when the uh, the market uh, will, will start reflecting that upside. But 21, 22 perhaps, which would dovetail nicely with uh, your planned start for the project? Most definitely. Uh, it, it's um, <laughs> very rarely that you can say you get your timing right on these things, but... Uh, if we can organise finance uh, on the back of a good DFS and uh, move it forward with, uh, within the time frame we're thinking of, 2021, 2022, uh, yes, I think that would be good timing for the price increases to come into play. Mm. Would you, for those financing discussions, would you need um, uh, to be 100% covered with uh, offtake agreements or...? Certainly be required for, um, for some comfort for the, the lenders, for sure, because they want to see where their, uh, where their money's going to come back. But um, uh, I would suggest that they probably look at a minimum of 75% offtake. Um, mm -hmm. Something that we do have up our sleeve is we have signed uh, an agreement with uh, an un unnamed company as yet uh, to look at um, the tin and tantalum offtake. Uh, okay. We've got some, yeah. sam some sample back in, in Perth at the moment, which we're going to start test work on. It's a tin and tantalum uh, concentrate. Uh, it's been sieved off on site. So 
if that proves to be um, good quality, which I'm pretty sure it will be, then I think that uh, negotiation will continue and we'll have um, a second stream to uh, to the income for the project. Right, because uh, I think CapEx is roughly 350, 400 US million, is that right? Yes, roughly, uh, depending on which way we, we cut it. Um, obviously, we've got a large ticket item in there of the Pianamwanga Hydro facility. That's about uh, $50 million straight off the bat there. Whether we pull that in under our um, CapEx requirements or whether we leave it out and let someone else do it and supply the power to us and they take on the business, I mean, we're not in the power business and the reason we uh, took the, uh, the licence or the opportunity on board is to ensure that we got a good price on, on, uh, on electricity supplied to the site to run the, uh, the plant and equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, it's, uh, it's a number around about that $400 million, depending on which way we go. Right. So hydro would give you the potential, of course, to market yourself as quote-unquote green lithium. Yes. Um, a lot of companies are looking at that, uh, that chain to make sure that the batteries are produced in a green environment, if we can call it that. Um, mm. Very hard to do when you're a miner, obviously, because you do rely on diesel power and in, uh, in remote locations, but uh, we have the fortunate uh, geographical location of only being 80, 82 kilometres away from the Pianamwanga Hydro Facility, which was essentially put in uh, for the historical tin mine at the same site. So, yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've got the capacity there. I think it was for around about 44 to 46 uh, megawatts of power once the two uh, sections of the historical uh, hydro plant are upgraded and refurbished uh, so that's that's more than enough for us to to run a dms plant i think is somewhere between six and eight megawatts of power for what we're looking at uh, mm. additional material there we're talking about a an electric shovel uh, if we can find a, the smallest one we probably need would right. be uh, the, the only one we could get um, and then trucks of course there's uh, i think uh, it was komatsu who just brought out a um an electric dump truck. So uh, yeah, we'll be investigating those uh, those potential avenues as well. Mm, okay. Uh, you've obviously got a lot on your plate, but I was just wondering, are there, uh, given the presence in the country and uh, that part of the world, are any other opportunities emerging for the company? Uh, well, look, I think the, the main big opportunity we've got, which we've already announced, is uh, we've got discussions ongoing with the government on a special economic zone. That's right. uh, we are going a workshop with, uh, I think it's about 30 of their uh, representatives from the various ministries to discuss uh, how we're going to progress with Monono as a special economic zone. Uh, my understanding, um, straight off the top of the bat, is from some of the other ones that have been put in place, is that you get a, a period of time, uh, usually matched to your mine life or an initial period with an, a renewal period available, um, which gives you significant benefits in um, tax exonerations from, mm-hmm. uh, from the government on your revenue stream, expatriates that are working with you, fixed rates on their tax, to importation of goods and uh, consumables that you require for the site to get you um, operational and export of the material as well because uh, DRC has quite an unusual regime with tax in that you have the provincial taxes uh, uh, being allowed to be imposed by the, the local governor of each province on top of the, the, the federal, if we call it, that, the national one. So, yes, we're hoping for some good discussions with the government on that. Um, and we'll try and tailor it as much as possible to, to match the start-up period for the company. 
if we can get a really good deal for the first five years to ensure that our debt is paid off as quickly as possible, then that would match our aspirations for putting the project into production as quickly as possible. Mm, okay, interesting one to uh, pursue. All right then, so um, a lot to look out for in uh, coming months, uh, 2020, shaping up as the big year for the company. So with that, I'll say thanks for your time today and all the best. Thank you very much, Barry. Cheers.